Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Amen. I want to just kind of set it up and tell a story. This was a few years back. A few years back, um, I was in the river and I was just kind of floating, you know what I'm saying? And, and, um, and I hear this boat that is absolutely screaming. And how many of you live that live around the river, by the river, in the river? You know what I'm talking about. And it is just absolutely screaming. But I can't see it, but I could tell it's not like a little boat. It's not like a small motor. It's like somebody has got a boat with like a 200-plus horse motor, and they are just flying up the river. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself as I'm kind of just floating, I'm looking, I'm thinking, man, they are going fast. They're going fast. And as I'm sitting there, I'm, I couldn't see it because the way the river is, is it's got bends in it. So I'm just looking down, and I can see for maybe a quarter to a half a mile, and I can hear it for probably 15, 20 seconds before it makes that corner. And it is just flying. And I'm sitting here, and, and I see it. It comes around the corner, and it wasn't like, you know, like a 15-foot boat. It was like a 25- or 30-foot boat. And it was just like doing 30, 35 miles an hour. And as I look, all of the people on the boat are all laying out. And they got their legs hanging over the edge. How many of you know what I'm saying? And the stereo is just blasting. And it's, they're just flying up. And I think it was the dad. The dad was in the seat. And it was just, you know, it was like this day. We're just going to relax. But in my head, I think I know where they're going. And that water is about, it was when the river was low. I think that water is about two or three inches deep. And they are just flying. And I'm like, yo. And they're just like, oh. And they hit that sandbar doing about 30 or 35 miles an hour. And the people on the boat flew over the boat and into the water, bounced on the sandbar. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I was like, I went, I went over there and like, are you guys okay? And the guy is in the boat with the prop still down. And it's just kicking sand up and garbage up. And I'm like, shut it off, shut it off. And I go over and no, praise the Lord, nobody got hurt. Are you with, I mean, not seriously hurt. There's, there was a little blood, but not too much. It was, and so I go over there and I'm like, and, and they were just like screaming and whatever, whatever. And his prop was missing like a whole blade of the prop was gone. And, um, and I start talking to the guy and he's like, it's a rented boat. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I think you just bought it. <laughs> but what? But what it was is, it is what it was is he thought the water was eight or ten feet deep, and it was two or three inches deep, and it was it it did that day, I guarantee it did not go the way that he thought it should go, and I think all of us have had ideas, and we're cruising along in life about this is the way life 
is going to go. We've planned it. We've navigated it. We're, we're, we're sunning ourselves on the deck of life, and all of the sudden, something happens. Could be fast. It could be slow. And, we, and what happens is, is it, it, we, we get deflated because of our preconceived ideas about what this day, this week, this month, this situation, the way that it was going to go, the way that it was going to turn out. And the title of today of what I want to teach on is called Body out. How many of you are with me on that? Where we're just, we're, we think that everything looks great, everything's cruising along, and all of the sudden, out of nowhere. And sometimes what I have noticed is we mistake faith with us being in control when really biblical faith is us having high expectations in our life. Y'all, we should have high expectations. The Bible says that God places hope in us that causes us to not be disappointed. We should have high expectations in the Lord and high expectations for our life, but also realize that we, we don't have to be in control in order to trust who's in control. Amen. And sometimes in our life, and especially in America, is what it is, is we bottom out because we all have expectations, but we don't know how to handle it when they don't. See, growing past a false or a wrong expectation, even when we've prayed about it. I remember before I was married, I was a pastor, I was a youth pastor, and uh, people would come to me that were married, and they would ask me questions about marriage and about kids. Now, let me just give you, tell you something straight up. I was an expert, okay, before I had kids. And once I had kids, I thought I was an absolute idiot because I had no comprehension. But after I had kids, I realized now, and I almost sometimes want to call them back on the phone and repent. How many of you know what I'm saying? Because what it was is sometimes in our life, we have a plan, and we're just going along. You know, and, and some people, they get so disappointed that they won't trust God again. They won't believe. They won't step out again. And this is huge, especially with us as Americans, because we pride ourselves with figuring everything out, and we are addicted to being in control. That if, you know what, it's easy for me to be in faith as long as I am in control. And I have been around people that they've been hurt relationally. And I'm just going to, if you are more than three weeks old, you've been hurt relationally. Everybody has been hurt relationally. But when you think about it is maybe they've been hurt relationally. And so now they've got it. I call it a Judas mindset. You know, I met somebody one time. And they came to me, and they had been hurt by somebody, and they had adopted a theology to match their, uh, their, their experience. I called it a Judas theology, and they said to me, Jesus had 12 disciples, but one of them was a Judas. And guess what? We all got a Judas in our life. And I thought, what a sour way to live. How many of you know what I'm saying? Just it, but what happened is, it's almost like I'm not going to fully trust again. You know, something rocked my world, and now my trust has been undermined, and I see life through that experience, through that lens, 
and through that hurt. I want to look at something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 in the light of that. In Matthew 18, verse 1, it says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What I want you to notice is the question. The disciples came and they said, We want to know who the big dogs are spiritually. We want to know who is the spiritually mature. We want to know who is the model. We want to know who that is. Look at what Jesus said. He called a little child and set him before them. And he said, I assure you, most solemnly I say to you, unless you repent. Now look at this word. That is, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, live changed lives, and become like children. And now he describes this. Trusting, humble, and forgiving, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What I want you to notice is Jesus defines maturity and spirituality is somebody who is trusting, somebody who is humble, somebody who is forgiving. That's who he defines. And I am convinced that the enemy tries to rob us of trust, humility, and forgiveness through from what we're going to call a, a bottoming experience, where we just go through an experience and we bottom out. And what happens is, is Jesus is saying that if you're going to experience what I've got for your life, you cannot let this be taken from you. He said, unless you become like a child, trusting, humble, forgiving, we could add loving in there. And it's almost like as we become adults, we pride ourselves in navigating and not going through problems. And we have these preconceived ideas and then something either small or something huge happens in our life. And now what we're doing is we're letting that faulty preconceived idea become the glasses that we're looking at life through now. And we're looking at life through those particular glasses. And especially, and I've been around people and they say, well, I've prayed about this. I've prayed. Oh, this is what I have come to realize as a pastor, is we can convince ourselves anything is God if we tell ourselves it long enough. We can convince her, this is God, 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 this is God. And then we say, God, what do you think? Well, we've already convinced ourselves. <laughs> we've already, we've, and, and then what happens is we have those experiences. You know, and I want to look at a story today in the book of Acts. And it's the Apostle Paul is leading what, what is his first missionary team by himself. Previously, he had led, if you study the New Testament, what you find out is that Paul got saved. Then he went to his hometown of Tarsus for 12 years and taught a small group Bible study. And Barnabas, who was around when Jesus was on the earth, hears about Paul and some 12 years later goes and finds Paul, tucks Paul under his wing, and they start a ministry team where Barnabas is the leader and Paul is kind of like his pro 
protege, and he's being mentored. And so what you see is in Acts 16 is Paul is leading his very first team by himself. You find if you read Acts 15 that Paul and Barnabas had a little bit of a disagreement. And so Barnabas said, fine, I'm going to take John Mark and my team go this way. You take your team and you go that way. And I am sure because of human nature that Paul's leading his first team and we're going to see he's got Silas with him. Luke is with him who wrote the book of who the Holy Spirit inspired to keep account of the book of Acts. He goes and he gets Timothy and Timothy's with him. He's building his team. But I am sure over the years that Paul and Barnabas were together that there were times that Paul said, if I was in charge, I'd have done this. How many of you know what I'm saying? Well, I just, I'm not going to say nothing, Barnabas, but I don't know that that's the wisest choice. I think, how many of you know that's human nature? When you're following a leader and they make a decision that you don't agree, I'd have done it a little different. I'd have done. And so now Paul is getting the opportunity, and let's read starting in verse 1. Paul went first to Derby, then to Lystra, and there was a young man named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers at Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul brings Timothy. Jump with me down to verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas, and we know Luke's with him, and, and Timothy is with him, and there's, there's, there's probably more there. Traveled through the area of Pergia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the providence of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the providence of Bithynia, but again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. I want you to picture this for a moment. How did they get around back then? They walked. You're walking. And first, the Holy Spirit says, don't go there. So then they're going here. They walk for a couple days. And then says, the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go there. In verse 8, look at what it said. So instead, they went through Mysia, to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. What I want you to notice is this picture right here. Is the apostle Paul is leading a team and finally, after a couple what we're called missed spots, he has a dream and the Holy Spirit speaks to him, shows him a man praying and says, go here. He goes back to his team and says, guys, this is what happened last night. And they all agree that God has called us to go there. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. If that happened to you, if you were leading your first team and you first had a vision, then the Holy Spirit spoke to you, then the entire team with you all agreed and said, this is God. How many, I don't think that ever happened when Barnabas was leaving, leading. How many of you know on the inside you were like, oh, this is going to tear it up. 
I mean, this is going to be like revival. Barney is going to hear about it, and he is going to wish he was on our team. I knew I had it nailed all along. I had a vision last night. The Holy Spirit spoke. The whole team is in agreement. Let's go. So they take off, and they're heading there. Look at what it said. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia, verse 12, and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. I, I guarantee you, expectations right now are pretty high. How many of you, let me ask you a question. Has anybody in here had a, ever had an open vision and then the Holy Spirit spoke to you and then the people around you all said, that is God. That's what happened to him. The expectations are high. Paul has arrived. I could just imagine. Verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got exasperated. What does the word exasperated mean? When you think of somebody, get, when you get exasperated with somebody, you know, you're like, you're exasperated. Would you say it's irritated? Talk to me. Would you say it's maybe a little angry? Frustrated? Paul? I mean, I don't know, but I could imagine you're preaching the gospel and a demon-possessed girl is like, yeah, these boys, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You're just like, after a few days, Paul gets irritated, gets exasperated. And then he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her masters, look at the word plural there. This was a slave girl. Think about this for a moment. This is a slave girl that does fortune telling. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So you got a slave girl who's a fortune teller. If you're a slave girl, you're not owned, you're typically owned by one person. But what you can readily see is this is a financial endeavor. This girl would tell fortunes. She had a master, and then he started leveraging that and allowing other people to buy into their lucrative business. And so now there's several people that own this girl, and this girl tells fortunes and lines their pockets. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted, to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us as Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods and they were severely beaten and then thrown into prison. Now I want to ask you a question right now. How many of you think Paul was expecting anything like this when he had his vision, the Holy Spirit said, and this is what I want you to do. This is a bottoming out experience for Paul. Paul is like, 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I could just imagine Luke, you know, Silas and Timothy. Paul, you should have kept your mouth shut. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have got, you got to, you got, you let your anger get away from you. And now look what's happened to us. We're all beaten and we're here in prison. Paul, I can't believe this. Barnabas would have never flew off the handle like you did with that girl when you cast the devil off. I mean, I could just imagine him. Look at what it says. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. And all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. What I want you to notice is this, is bottoming out is part of life. Life is not going to always go the way we think. And when it doesn't, notice this, because we see it in verse 10. It says, we had concluded that God had called us. And this is number one. God works through accountable relationships in my life accountability in my life. It is an insurance plan against stupidity. When we have a bad day, understand, and we are in our boat and we've bottomed out and we just shove the throttle all the way forward and we're kicking sand up in the back, a friend comes alongside and says, take your hand off of the throttle and you need to do the right thing right here. You know, someone this week came to me, and they were younger, and they said, they were telling me they were called to missions, and, and that they got a financial accountability partner in their life, and they were older than them, and they told me who the person was, and I thought, I, I just, listen, but I thought, man, that person, they had filed bankruptcy, I knew, they had, they had stuff repossessed. How many of y'all know that's usually not a good financial accountability person? <laughs> I didn't want to say nothing to them, but I was like, sometimes we pick people in our life that make us feel comfortable rather than people that will challenge us to do the right thing. I remember years ago, a guy called me on the phone and he was, he would come to the church for a while and then he'd be gone and he'd come and then he'd be gone and he called me out of the blue. I hadn't seen him for six months or a year. And he said, Pastor Mike, I'm going to get married. And I'm like, you are. I knew he'd been married before. I said, you are. He said, yep. And I know the Lord wants you to marry and I said, awesome. I said, well, what's up? You know, and, and he said, I just want to let you know, I don't need any premarital counseling. He said, I've already been married four times. I know all about it. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> Do you know when he said that to me, I had to fight everything in me to keep from laughing. You know what I'm saying? If you knew the stuff people say to me, I would just be like, are you serious, really? Hmm. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, I'm not going to be able to marry you. He got mad, went and got married. Somebody else, you know, I'll leave this church. Left, <laughs> went and got mad. And then six months later, they were divorced. And I was like, ah. And then I saw him again. Anyway, <laughs> number two is this is believe that God is leading regardless. What I want you to notice about them in this story is it never dawned on them that God wasn't leading their life. Sometimes with some people, they go through a hard season and they question if God is leading. God is leading. 
He never promised to not to lead you through gravy. He promised to lead you through thick and thin. The Bible says, yes, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. And what it is, is we got to have a heart that says, God, you're leading me. God, you're so big that you're over my life. See, God will lead us through and out what we perceive as a discouragement or maybe even a setback if we'll keep our heart right. It will keep our heart right. You know, I love this story. You can tell their heart is right by their beaten, they're imprisoned. It didn't go the way they thought. They had a, Paul has a vision. The Holy Spirit speaks. They all confirm. Then they have a bad experience. But notice their heart in prison. They're praying and worshiping God. And God turns the thing upside down and opens the prison doors. Number three is this is do what you can while you're believing God for what you want. You got to do what you can while you're believing God for what you want. This is huge. It's an attitude. And what it reveals is it reveals a lot about my understanding of the way that God works in my life. Sometimes with some people, God is saying, I just need you. Notice they just kept doing what they knew to do. And some people are saying, God, I need you to do this. And God is like, you know what? I've asked you to do this and I want you to just keep doing it. I'll take care of my part. You do your part. And that where we just stop and we just say, and what it does is it develops the fruit of patience, long suffering, self-control, and joy in our life. And sometimes in our life, God is saying, okay, I've got you. I'm leading you. I don't want you to stop. You just keep right on going. Number four is this, is don't underestimate God's ability in my small decisions. Don't underestimate. You say, why would you say that? You know this town that we're talking about that started out this bad? Do you know that this church in Philippi is the church that Philippians was written to, and they became Paul's, if I could say it like this, his favorite church because of their heart for the apostle Paul and taking care of him in preaching the gospel. If you read Philippians 4.15, he said no church, when he wrote him a letter, he said no church entered into a partnership like you. And he wrote to the church in Corinth, and he said, you have heard about what the church, and he was speaking of the Philippian church in Macedonia, how much they have stood up for the cause of Christ and partnered with the work of God. But what I want you to notice is look where it all started. It was just a small decision. Okay, God, I'm going to do that. It got hard. It got difficult. Maybe some of us right now is you are bottoming out in the greatest blessing that God is intending to turn in your life. And you are saying, you know what? I thought it was going to go like this. I thought it was going to cruise like this. And man, you have hit the bottom. And you were like, I thought I prayed about it. I just want to encourage you, stay on the horse. And you might not be able to run, but you just keep walking. And you watch what God does in your life. He will take that situation. And what's amazing to me is that sometimes we look and we're like, God, I stepped out and I did and I thought I was following you and now look what happened. God is like, hey, I want you to just look back at the Apostle Paul and what I need you to do is realize that I'm over you, that I'm navigating you, 
and that I will turn this thing around. You know, I think you look at this particular church, and what's amazing to me is that they became a shining pillar, but it all started with a big beating to the Apostle Paul and his entire team. And the last one, number five, is this. Number five is realize the value of Christ of childlike trust. Realize the value of childlike trust. See, this should be a childish thing that we never outgrow in our life. You say, what do you mean? We just trust. We just trust. We just trust. We just, humility is, you know what? I'm just teachable. I'm just teaching. Sometimes what I've noticed is people go through things and their trust is eroded and they become bitter at life, resentful at life because of experiences and things that have happened. And God is saying, understand, unless, like Jesus said in Matthew 18, unless you back up and become like a child, trusting, humble, and forgiving, you're not going to step into what I have for your life. And that we have to cultivate that kind of a spirit. And there's some people today that they just won't trust anymore. And they wonder why, gosh, why is my, my faith not producing life? Why is my faith not producing joy? Why is my faith not engaging me sensing? And God is saying, I need you to back up right now and realize, see that bottoming out experience that you had right there? is you let it rob something from you that should never have been taken from you, and now it's impacting your quality of life and your sensitivity to me. See, trust is what brings peace and rest in the middle of a storm. That's what it does. When I'm in the middle of a storm, let me just tell you, my greatest need is to trust God and to sense his peace over my life. It's my greatest. You say, isn't it to get out of the storm? No, my greatest need is this, is if I will trust God and I will learn to tune into his peace, then what will happen is, is that storm will not be a negative, but it will turn for a positive in my life because I'll grow through it. I want us to stand to your feet, if you would.